Today is a Thanksgiving Sunday. I want to share with you how we can make our life truly great with a true thanksgiving to God's grace in Paul's second letter to Corinthians. Once again, I want to make sure God wants us to be great. More than anybody in this world, God wants us to be great. He made us His image, and He gave us His Son. He gave a Holy Spirit. God is not only promising greatness for us, God is working on us to make us great. Amen? So, today we will learn about the Thanksgiving in Paul's second letter to Corinthians. As, as someone said, the Christmas is not about the date, but about the state of mind. Thanksgiving is also a state of mind that we should keep for a long time or always. And Thanksgiving is definitely not about turkeys and families, much more about thankful heart and faith. So text about Thanksgiving reflection, reflection is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 15. And to give you the context, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 reveals the main business or key purpose of Paul's letter to Corinthians. Here, Paul is talking about offering. Pastors do not want to talk about money. N.T. Rice says on, in his commentary that in this section, Paul is walking on eggshells. Somehow, he gets away with it. Do you like uh, your pastor talking about offering? Do I like uh, talking about offering? Thank God, I didn't have to preach about offering at Forest so far. The only time I preached on tithing was uh, last January, last year January, not because of we have an urgent financial crisis, but because it's related to our ultimate faithful discipleship. Speaking of offering, I am very thankful that Forrest, we have been very faithful God in terms of a financial stewardship in 2020. While several local church pastors told me that their offerings declined significantly during this pandemic, our offering actually went up more than 10% weekly. Did you hear? Our actually offering went up more than 10%. And our leadership council also decided to increase our mission contribution more than 30%. So I'm really grateful and proud of our church. And if you, become, if you take a Cornerstone Bible study and if you take a membership class and then you become an official member of the church, at the end of the year, in our congregational meeting, you can see all the details of our financial stewardship. And I want to tell you that we really have a transparent and also really a faithful stewardship. So I want to thank God for your faithful stewardship, 2020. And also, I would like to remind everyone that stewardship is not limited only to money, but also time and talent. Trinity of our possession or human possession is a treasure, time, and talent. So now, why was Paul talking about offering? Why did Apostle Paul talk about this sensitive topic with the church that he struggled so much? 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 8, chapter 8, verse 4, Paul said this, 
This is for in the service of the Lord's people. This offering is for the service of the Lord's people. Here the word Lord's people is not a euphemism for Christians. Paul was referring to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who are going through tough time because of an empire-wide famine known in recorded in history. So why do the Corinthians, this Greek Christian, care for the poor people in Palestine? By helping the poor Jewish Christian in Jerusalem, Paul was trying to bring Jews and Gentiles together in Christ. To Paul, gospel means, as we remember the, uh, the Colossians you know, chapter 3, 28, Paul famously said, there is a neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is a male or female, for you are all one in Christ. So Paul, to believe in God, is having a new social identity. Being a child of God transcends our ethnicity, our race, our even nationality. So Paul trying to bring Christians, I mean the, the Gentiles and Jew, Jewish Christians together as a family of God. By the way, you know, one thing we couldn't do this year was a short-term mission to uh, Bolivia. And uh, we are not sure whether we can do that next year either. But someday that we will do. And one of the great benefits of going to short-term mission to the uh, foreign country and meet these Christians, not just once, but a second time. From my previous experience of visiting, a short-term, I'm doing a short-term mission in North Manchuria, Northern China. We went one particular area four years in a row. And after second time, it's like seeing old relatives. Those of you, I don't know, you know, grew up in the olden days when the you know, city slickers come to the countryside and meet your old neighbors and your old, you know, the, your cousins in the uh, countryside, they are happy to see you. They brag about you. You know, that's how a lot of times Christians in the developing nations, they feel about us when we visit them, not once, but repeatedly. So that's a kind of a, 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 a kind of example uh, that I can give right now. Now, so Paul, this love offering for Jewish Christians was not just for charity. It's for the unity of the Lord's people. So this offering has a theological aim. In fact, Paul had this project even earlier. If you look at the first Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 to 3, Paul said this, Now about the collection of the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So he said even Galatian churches involved this. So almost every Gentile church that Paul served involved in this. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will, be, will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will uh, I'll give a letter of introduction to the man you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So here, Paul is uh, trying to finish this important mission. Now, look at how Paul invites the struggling Corinthians to complete their pledges for the significant purpose of God. Just like uh, Corinthians, we are also invited to partake in God's mission in this world. And today, 
For that, we will see three stories of a giving, three cases of a giving. And with that, I want us to examine our own thanksgiving to God and to His mission. And hopefully we all give our hearts to the Lord and His purpose in life. So, first story of a giving is chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. So let me read it. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of that grace that God has given to Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their abilities, entirely on their own. They urgently plead with us for the privilege of a sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, then by the will of God also to us. Now, Paul gives the first giving story, which is a Macedonian church's giving, and their giving is simply inspiring. This is a surprising, inspiring giving. Who are the Macedonian churches? They are the Philippians and Thessalonians and others in the area of Macedonia, which is north of Achaia. And Achaia is where the Corinth was located. Corinth was the capital of the region of Achaia. So, these Macedonian churches, they respond to Paul's call to help out the poor saint in Jerusalem. But they, Paul said, they did it exceedingly, almost recklessly. And I want to use even the word paradoxically. Because if you look at the verse 2, can you look at the verse 2? Verse 2, do you know, words in verse 2 do not match, but contradict you know, each other paradoxically. Severe trial and overflowing joy. When you are having a severe trial, you don't have a joy. You have a worry, but they have a joy. Extreme poverty and rich generosity. When you're poor, you don't give. You hunker down. Their offering and their gift were inspiring because they exceeded any human expectation. In spite of their situation, which was a very impoverished, they were insistent. They are insistent in giving. If you look at the verse 6, Paul said they gave it on their own. Actually, they pleaded with us the privilege of a sharing in this service for the Lord's people. Paul actually, I, I, I can imagine, Paul is kind of telling them, hey guys, you, you gave enough. You know, have you given so much that your pastor said, hey, stop giving. I think you should take care of your own family. That's what the Macedonians is doing. You know, here the word the Macedonians is poor, right? And the word used is a poor, it's an interesting word. In Greek, it's a bathos, okay, which means a deep. They were deep, deep poor. And out of the Greek word bathos, we got the English word as a bathosphere. Bathosphere. Do you know what bathosphere is? That is a name of a deep sea exploring submarine. Do we have the picture? Yes. That little thing, 
that goes on the bottom of the ocean to explore, explore, that is called the Bathsphere. Bathsphere. And Paul was saying that Macedonians were not just poor, they are deep poor. Deep, they're in deeply deep, deep poverty. A commentator said they were down to the depth of a poverty. They were at the bottom of their finances. In today's language, they were dirt poor. And also they were in the severe trial. So can you see this is a compound you know, idea? The literal idea is that they are crushed by life because what's happening to them is a surrounding culture was squeezing them harder and harder because of their devotion to Christ. So they had an immense pressure. They were poor and they were picked on. Macedonian Christians were poor and they were picked on. Grinding poverty and crushing tribulation made their life impossible. Yet out of this impossible situation, they did impossible, improbable thing. They gave, not just a little bit, they gave generously. Paul said, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty well up in the rich generosity. Do we have the word for their rich generosity? This here, Paul was actually playing a word, I mean, playing pun with a word. It's a Platon test, a plotus. So the key word is a Platon, from which we have English word plethora. You, you heard of the word plethora. I have a plethora of options, right? Plethora. So literally means a plethora out of a non-plethora, or generosity out of a no generosity. Paul trying to say, these people cannot be generous. But these people who couldn't be generous, they were generous. Paul was saying that their generosity didn't come out of their affluence, but it came out of surprising their abject poverty. Their giving was not dictated by ability. It has nothing to do with the well-off. It is everything about their willing heart. And they view giving, uh, giving for the Lord as a privilege. And they gave it joyously. In chapter 9, Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. That was a Macedonian. And this cheerful giver, Macedonian, they were poor people. They were persecuted Christians. Have you seen such inspiring givers? These days, I do a Bible study with my brother who is in Venezuela every Thursday evening. I teach him... Uh, Livingstone Bible study so that he can teach uh, his student leaders over there. And uh, so I asked people that I know about that, uh, that I met, you know, several uh, mission trips that I made there. And uh, you know what is inspiring me about them? My brother and the, my brother told me that he and the other missionaries, they were so inspired. They are so humbled by many of our Venezuelan student leaders and then some pastors. Because over there, right now, their pandemic is horrible. We, we already know this. I, I shared many times so it's to save time. So they're doing also Zoom kind of thing. But the internet reception is so bad that some of them walk one hour or more than hour to get Let's show the picture. Let's show the picture. This is the uh, 
the uh, right side, this is uh, one of our house churches. Also. It's a Petare, Venezuela. It's the east of Caracas, the capital city. Petare is about four square mile area that has about a million. Collin County is about a million. I don't know how big, you know, but it's now four square miles. This is four square miles of a mountainous area, house upon the house. About a million people live. And the left, you see the typical, you know, upper middle class of Venezuela in Caracas. So this many of the student leaders and pastors, they walk an hour to find the place where they can have an internet, you know, a, a reception. And that's how they study Livingstone, Cornerstone, you name it, all the Bible studies. So when missionaries are heard their story, missionaries will inspire their students. And then now, my brother is actually training more uh, Cornerstone Bible studies teachers among the student leaders so that whoever doesn't have even internet in a reception, they can go in person and teach them. He told me that this student that's saving their data even though how much they, you know, so missionaries, they, they give them, uh, they, they, they buy the data for them and then, you know, deposit in their uh, uh, phone, uh, phone account. But students, they save it for study and ministry. You know, we, here we complain about the virtual fatigue. And I do understand but every time I hear these Venezuelan students and the Bolivian people who really love Jesus and are so hungry for his word, man, my virtual fatigue sounds so fancy. How can I even use the word virtual fatigue? They wish they have enough you know, data and virtual, you know, Virtual, you know, accessibility, they can say that, oh, I can, you know, I can stand this anymore. What I'm thankful for 2020, I thank God for everyone who showed up in our Zoom Sunday service and Friday or Saturday house churches. Seriously, I'm really, your presence is encourages me. I especially thank God for parents who showed up in the house churches and then Zoom service. You know why? Because of our children, they are our in-house VIPs. Our children, they are non-Christian midst of us. And they see how we respond to God's word. If we don't take God's word and God's fellowship and God's grace seriously with a commitment, they will never take God seriously. So I actually pray for those, uh, as I pray for MIAs every week, but especially those parents who have, I haven't seen because I, worry, I don't worry about the parents. I worry about the children. That's what I pray for. And uh, I'm really grateful for our youth and the children, minister, you know, teachers, and then everyone who's serving them. So I just, I don't know, I'm preaching to the older choirs, but uh, there are some of our church people who are giving uh, in absence. They just give offering, they, even though they are absent in service. But I want to say that we want, your, we want your presence more than your, your, your offering. And uh, also, you know, uh, 
Uh, yesterday I talked to uh, Richard is not here somehow. Is that the, I, Richard Kim? He is a pilot. Uh, he's a pilot, a spirit airline, and uh, you know he's been very. He, he thank he said he thanked God for Zoom because uh, he could join Cornerstone Bible Study wherever he was, and twice he joined our Cornerstone in the hotels where he just landed. And this Thursday he he was. You know, he was he was in full uniform, and to save our time, he was. So, now, how could they give us so sacrificially and so joyfully? Verse five, Paul said they exceeded their our expectation. They gave themselves first of all, first of all to God, and then to will of God also to us. They are giving not just money but they giving themselves their heart to the Lord. And that's how the Macedonians were generous, paradoxically generous givers and thanksgivers. And they gave themselves to God or the Lord. You know, how do you, you know, how do we love God? God has everything. How do you love somebody who has everything? You know, we can love God by loving God's people. Anyone loves my children, you love me. And I am indebted forever. You know, when U.S. sanctions some foreign, you know, problematic foreign uh, officials, such as, uh, you know, that uh, Hong Kong, you know, some Chinese officials, this is uh, very, oh, Hong Kong breaks my heart. And this, uh, I really pray that, uh, uh, the new uh, President Biden, President-elect Biden, the new administration, they have to maintain some of uh, our, you know, current policy, especially against the CCP. CCP is a really, Chinese Communist Party is a really threat to not just America, but the whole world. I speak from experience. Uh, CCP is influencing Latin America more than you know, more than we know. They are a danger. Wherever CCP, you know, influences, dictatorship thrives. So we need to make them, we need to counter them. And then when U.S. You know, sanctions these uh, foreign officials, they always include their family. Why? Family and parents, children and parents go together. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is a kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what I have done. New Living Translation said, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He will pay you, repay you. That's how we love God. When we love a people of God, and especially in need, that's how we love God, and that's how God feels so pleased with us. Now, let me move on to the second, uh, thanks, uh, th second story of our giving. That is a Corinthian church's giving. Let me read quickly chapter 6, Verse, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 6 to 15. So we urge Titus, just as he has earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul here was a kind of a challenging Corinthians that you claim to be excellent in everything, and you claim to have so much spiritual gift, 
then prove me that you are also excellent in giving. You know, Paul kind of turning the table around. And then verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, uh, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first one not only to give, but also have desire to do so. That means that the first one who sort of volunteered in the area. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to one does not have. So second giving story is, is, is that of a Corinthians and compared to Macedonians giving, which is surprising and inspiring, Corinthians giving was incomplete and suspended. Challenge for Corinthians was that they need to finish what they started. That's what Paul was talking about verse 10 and 11. Last year, you're the first one who volunteered. Verse 11, now finish the work. It's like a story of, uh, what is that, the turtle and the uh, rabbit, you know, turtles. What is that, turtles and the hare? So Macedonians is a steady going like, uh, you know, turtles. Whereas uh, uh, Corinthians were more like a hare, the rabbit that has an early start and then, you know, stole. Have you started something exciting with the eagerness, then initial energy and the enthusiasm have run out? Then you lost the desire, now you have a drag. Almost everything worthwhile, you know, we have to remember always comes a moment when initial energy has drained away and novelty of a project has worn off. You have to make up your mind to go on despite the fact that at the moment, it isn't any fun anymore. Have you had a, such experience? For me, my PhD dissertation was something that I struggled to finish. I wrote the first four chapters in six months, relatively very speedy, and then it almost took a two and a half years to write, a, write the, one, the last chapter. You know why it was a delay? First four chapters, I wrote it during, the, during when I had a, a morning devotions. I led uh, a morning devotions at the church. Right after morning devotion, I went to Starbucks and that's when I wrote whatever portions. The, the last chapter I stole because instead of a morning devotion, I had a morning with a M-O-U-R-N, morning commute to Dallas Baptist University. I drove an hour in, you know, each way without prayer. Yeah, I tried to pray in the, in the car, but you know, and that drained me. And uh, my testimony about conclusion is that when I recovered the morning devotion, I actually couldn't finish the dissertation. So I found that it is not a time, it is a prayer. And I really thank God. Another thing I'm really grateful to God for during this pandemic is a daily bread. Yes, 
I'm barely catching up, but it really blessed me. Now, how do you complete the half-finished work? Paul here even say that complete what you started. But here, Paul is uh, really helping them to rediscover their motivation. So the center of this message, it, Paul is not just uh, telling them to simply uh, obligation to other people, but Paul tried to help them to recover the, the beating heart of the gospel, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that's why Paul mentioned in the verse 9, look at the verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became a poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So Paul brings their attention to Jesus. Why? Look at me. Jesus knows how to finish. You know, one thing about Lord, what was his one of the last words on the cross? It is finished. Our Jesus knows how to finish. And he completed. He's a master of, master finisher, master of a completion. And here, Paul is leading Corinthians to reflect briefly something he already said in the Philippians chapter 2. Do you guys remember Philippians chapter 2, Christological hymn? That, you know, being a, you know, God himself, he did not take equality with God, but, all, but he emptied it himself, and then, you know, he made himself nothing, emptied himself, and so forth. The whole Philippian, you know, story. I mean, hymns in Philippians chapter 2. Christ became a... So, you have to understand this carefully. Christ became a nothing so that you and I can have everything, including the power of a resurrection and exaltation. That's the idea of a Philippian hymns. Christ emptied himself in order to fill us with himself. Here we must understand the critically important expression that Christ became nothing or literally emptied himself. The main idea it's a Christ's humility. And let me get this right. Christ's humility is different from our humility. Christ's humility is different from other human humility. We have nothing, but we, we have to be you know, humble because that's who we are. We are just creatures. But when Creator, Christ became a creature, when He humbled Himself, His humility is a redemptive humility. Salvific humility. Through his humiliation, he's exalting us. Fancy word. Through kenosis or emptying, he is filling us, or is filling us like a child of God. He's he making us, you know, theosis. Now, early Christians, they got this right. And every day writing, they say this Son of God became a son of man, so sons and daughters of men can become sons and daughters of God. The richest person became nothing so that nobody like you and me can be the richest person. That's what early Christians you know, reading. So Paul is uh, trying to bring that to the Corinthians. We don't just uh, have a grace. You have a grace of a Christ. And grace of Christ always overflows in us. It not only enchanted us to, as a receivers, but it also empowers us to be our givers. So Paul was telling Corinthians, remember what Christ gave you, then you can give to others. That's what 
Paul is trying to do. All right. I, we, we, I, I want to finish. So I'm sorry. I'm skipping the huge. I speak, I'm skipping four pages of my prepared sermon. All right. Let me give you quickly to the uh, final point about the third giving. And then Paul gives a last story of giving, verse 13. Our desire is not that others might not relieved while you are hard-pressed, but they might be equality. The word equality is a key term in the last section, so look, pay attention to equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. One who gathered little did not have too little. The last giving story Paul is quoting here is a manna story in Exodus. Verse 15, Paul is quoting Exodus 16, 18. Exodus chapter 16, 18 said this, When they measured it by Omar, you know, whatever the manna they collected, the one who gathered much did not have too much, one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Why do you think Paul brought the story about manna in, in, in this here? God provided manna, this incredible breath from heaven, for Israelite to eat and on their way to promised land. You know, when we, when, when we journey with God, God wants to make sure that He supplied all our needs. And the manna is the example of God's provision. And the interesting thing about manna is that nobody, you know, it doesn't matter how much you gather, at the end, everybody has enough. So goal is a manna is a equality. And if you remember the Exodus story, the manna is something they have to pick up every day, freshly. Anybody who tried to store them, what happened to manna? It becomes a spoil and you have to throw away, it becomes a trash. Fresh trash. You become greedy, it becomes a trash. You become a diligent and sharing, it becomes a fresh food every day. I think it's a great life illustration. You know, whatever we accumulated at the end of life, eventually it's a spoiled, it's gone. You know, there's nothing is ours forever. You know that, right? When you die, everything you have becomes somebody else's. And of course, all my children will have mine, you know. There is a way to keep whatever, you know, we accrued in life forever, if you deposit them in God and His love through His people in need. So Manna's story tells us this. At the, at the end, we all headed to the same destination, the promised land of God. As the children of God, we are going to see our Heavenly Father. As the followers of Christ, we will see the Lord face to face. As a bride of Christ, we will feast on the wedding banquet of the Lamb of God. Until we all get to the common destination, let us help each other on the way with whatever God has given us. One day I have more than you. One day you have more than me. 
together we will have enough for each other. That's what God expected from his children, to treat one another. We help each other. So Paul said, at present time, your plenty will supply what, what they need, but in turn, their plenty will supply what you need in the future. The goal is equality. Right now, our country, everybody is concerned the divide between you know, haves and haves not. Rich and poor, we have many, we have serious. Did you hear about the concern about the rising debt worldwide? We might have a serious global economic crisis if you don't come out of this pandemic quickly and uh, you know, safely. Already the many, many poor, poor nations, they are making a default. They are making a default. They're not paying their debt anymore. And the U.S. debt level is going up. And people are worried. But guess what? I want to remind you, the way to overcome the divide between rich and poor is not a political. It is a voluntary. It, it is a profound thanksgiving of a Christians who will make a difference. Amen? Someone said, the Americans who made a Thanksgiving tradition was the poorest American in American history. Pilgrims, they didn't have much. They borrowed the fruit from Indians. They killed the wild birds for their meal. But even the meager situation, they shared. And that's they shared their food with a stranger. That's how this beautiful American Thanksgiving tradition came out. And that this is a very biblical. It goes further, 3,000, 3,500 years ago in Exodus, God showed us, share my food with one another. And ultimately, who is our manna? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever is hungry and thirsty, come and eat and drink me. You will be satisfied. And we are distributing the manna, the bread of life, to our friends and then, uh, you know, our, our brothers and sisters in need. Forest, let's give our treasure, time, talent for God as a cheerful givers like a Macedonian churches. 